Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share. Peter Homer is one of Britain's most experienced and celebrated healthcare leaders. He is currently Director General of the Defence Medical Services, making him responsible for the health and well-being of every British soldier, sailor and RAF officer, both at home and abroad. During an illustrious career, he has spent 27 years as Chief Executive at three of Britain's biggest NHS teaching hospitals. And appropriately for this podcast, he was also Foundation Chair of the NHS Leadership Academy. Peter Homer, CBE, thank you for joining us on the NBS Business Leaders Podcast. Pleasure to join you, Mike. Thank you. You look after the health of every member of the British Armed Forces, yet you're not a military man by trade. Does that present particular leadership challenges? In many ways, uh, it does and it doesn't, um, Mike. The area that's the same, of course, is uh, healthcare management, healthcare leadership. Large, complex organisations have very similar characteristics, um, uh, I think, across sectors, including the NHS and the military. Where I have um, have depended very strongly on the help and support from others is the, the military dimension, clearly. And that includes understanding the work that our military colleagues have to do around the world and what our role is in supporting them. And that's a combination, of course, of force protection, as we call it, making sure the vaccinations, dental checks, and the hearing checks, and the whole set of very important um, activities to ensure that the serving personnel are ready, as it's said, to go out of the door at a moment's notice. And in addition to that treatment as well, they're very, very similar aspects, but they're also areas which are very particular to the military. And what's very striking is that in both the NHS and in the uh, in the MOD, uh, there are colleagues that are absolutely passionate about doing the right thing for those that they serve, whether it's in our case, serving personnel or indeed the country. What do you, what do you think they've learned in leadership in leadership terms from, from the last 12 months? I think we've learned a lot of things. Firstly, the benefit of uh, using digital technology and the, the, the notion that a meeting only takes place if, uh, if we're physically together in one place, even though it may be very costly in terms of time and non-renewable resources, that we can replace that, um, as we're doing during this uh, conversation, um, digitally. There are some downsides, but I think we've learned that we can we can do stuff using digital technology. And in the clinical space, of course, it means that we have moved uh, from providing the vast majority of our consultations, because we provide a very significant uh, primary care service and mental health service, as well as secondary care service, that we move that from uh, initial face-to-face consultations, the vast majority being video or telephone conversations, with very good effects. The patients, um, generally speaking, far prefer it because it's a much more accessible um, service. Really, do you think patients do prefer that? Oh, yes. the, The survey results that we've had within our domain confirm that. And that's not to say that, of course, where a face-to-face consultation is required, that doesn't happen. That's important. Of course it is. But the the feedback that we have is that I think something like 87% of those uh, who've um, experienced the service were very pleased with it, thought it gave them a greater control over uh, asking for a referral, i.e. they could make the request 
any time at all on their digital device as opposed to going to a, a, a laptop somewhere in a, an MOD facility. Uh, and indeed, the clinicians themselves um, uh, have also replied, responded that they find it uh, very satisfactory. And that's not to say there aren't things that we can do to improve, but the fact that we've made a night's move in terms of how we care for patients um, using digital technology, which is frankly something that we, and I would venture to suggest that I attempted when I'm working in the NHS over the past 10 or so years, and we've done it within a matter of a couple of months, uh, is very striking. That's a huge change, which you think patients both within your organisation and in the NHS, are embracing and will continue to embrace. What are the, do you think the challenges are in terms of your role with your staff, in terms of the people you lead having to work remotely? Listening to our staff is really important. As all organisations, have. we have a variety of mechanisms of doing that. Surveys, we have coffee mornings, um, we have opportunities for a drop-in conversations and so on and so forth. The challenges which are relayed is that working from home doesn't work for everyone. An appreciable uh, number of our colleagues firstly miss the social interaction. I confess I'm one of those, uh, Mike. Others um, who aren't fortunate enough to have a dedicated space within which they can uh, which they can use as their office or base. And therefore, as one colleague I was talking to the other day, who was using an ironing board for a desk and uh, with all the the difficulties associated with that. And of course, the opportunity of picking up uh, tacit information as one goes to the uh, coffee machine or whatever it is, has a chat with someone, then discovers maybe everything's not as well as it should be in their life and working out what we can do to help and support them. It's a very mixed picture. And I suspect we will be returning um, post-pandemic, uh, I think, to a blended version of working at home or working in the office and, and so on. Another aspect of, uh, of 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 working during lockdown has been the need to for people like yourself to work uh, even more closely with politicians. How has that been? I've um, always found working with politicians um, to be a uh, a positive um, experience, providing one is invested in the relationship. And by that, I mean, I've got a lot of respect, and this is an apolitical comment, to uh, to those that operate in the political domain, because uh, in my experience, the vast majority wanted to make the world a better place. They've got a very short time to do that, so there are individuals in a hurry. And certainly when I was in Nottingham, uh, we were, and I'm sure Nottingham remains, very, very well supported and served by the local MPs and by other political figures. They invested time into understanding us as a service, and I think it's really important that leaders within the service invest time in understanding the requirements of politicians, providing them information proactively as well as reactively, responding with agility, so that we're doing our very best to help them understand what is often a very complex picture, and they have so many different interests to, to service. So I think investing time and energy in the relationship is really important, not simply responding to when there's a problem which is often what I have observed some colleagues uh, doing, so that when we do confront a, a difference of opinion, then it's done on the basis where we trust each other. We understand where we're coming from and we can we can outline the, the, the reasons why there may be some difficulties uh, with both uh, authenticity and a sense of mutual confidence. Let's go back to the start of your career. I believe you originally wanted to be a pilot, but you lost your sight in one eye. How did you recover from that setback? Oh, gosh, uh, Mike. Uh, I can still remember when I was doing a paper round uh, the day after I'd been to Moorfields Eye Hospital that said, well, sorry, Peter, my mum was there. Uh, there's nothing more we can do. I'd had several operations um, and it, the, the, result, the, the cause of it was um, um, 
I got German measles um, when I was a, a very much younger kid. And that caused me to, to lose sight in one eye. And I, I remember doing this paper round and there was uh, jumbo jets hadn't been invented in those days, but there was a jet uh, coming. I lived in South London and it was coming into land um, at about 17,000 feet, I guess now, um, uh, to Heathrow. And I looked up and saw this lumbering great jet and thought, I'll never be able to fly one of those. And I recall crying. Because really? yeah. um, I, I, for some reason, or other, flying had been the real ambition of, um, of mine. And, um, and it took quite a lot of reconciliation that there's nothing I could do to put this, um, this right. But, you, do you know, um, I'm so pleased I didn't become a pilot because I, I would have not have had the privileged opportunity of doing the work that I've done, working with some fantastic people over the past uh, nearly 40 years. Your loss was the NHS's gain, I guess. <laughs> well, I'll leave others to judge that, uh, Mike. <laughs> but I, 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 working in NHS and working in healthcare is a huge privilege where one's working with patients and their loved ones at the happiest and the saddest times of their lives and working with the most wonderful people uh, you know, across the whole spectrum, porters, cleaners, doctors, nurses and others. Now, you, you obviously love what you do. Um, and I saw something that you wrote not so long back, um, quoting a, a philosopher who said that we live life forward and understand it backwards. So, so what, do you, what do you now understand that you didn't previously? A lot, uh, Mike. Um, uh, longer than this podcast could probably uh, uh, last. Um, but I think what experience has taught me, by which I mean mostly my mistakes, is uh, fundamentally the importance of values and not compromising them. Have you ever worked for someone or in any way where you 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 feared you may have to compromise your values? So you've 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 got out of there, as it were. Uh, yes. There was one particular um, occasion where that's precisely what happened and I resigned. It was uncomfortable at the time, felt like a, a very heavy decision. But um, I, I work on the basis and, and, and what, what subsequently experience has taught me, Mike, is that if one conducts oneself where one's at ease with oneself and one's content that one's values have not been compromised, then one won't disappoint others and one won't disappoint oneself. Were you being asked to do something that you just didn't want to do? It was a, it's a complex set of circumstances. I, I was being asked to enact a role that wasn't the one that I had applied for in a way that uh, I, I was profoundly uncomfortable with doing. And, uh, and I, I, I then chose to uh, get out of it. And you've, and you've never looked back? It was uncomfortable at the time, but it was entirely the right thing to do. And you'd advise others to do the same? Uh, well, I'd advise others to do what I didn't do, and that is to check out the opportunity much more diligently than, <laughs> <laughs> than on that particular occasion I had. And uh, I, I have offered the advice that uh, when going, um, when looking at uh, job opportunities, a check that the applicant should check out the the job opportunity far more carefully than the employer checks uh, checks you out. And I appreciate that's really tough when there are very few jobs around, but um, particularly where one's embarked on a career, uh, one's entrusting one's future, one's family and, and, and oneself to an organisation. And, and that requires serious due diligence, um, I think. And, and too few people do it, in my experience. 
that, that, and I and I have read that as well because you write about these things. You're very you're very uh, candid and you're very open, both publicly and uh, and and in particular with your staff. I remember, remember um, in our time uh, in Nottingham, you were always uh, almost legendarily candid with your staff, perhaps unusually so. You also seem to encourage them to be open with their uh, opinions and to talk about their failings. Why do you think that sort of thing is so important? I think it's really important, uh, Mike. And in healthcare, as managers, we exhort our clinical colleagues to be open when things go wrong. And I think as, as managers and leaders, we need to lead by example. And so when, when something goes wrong, or if I've done something wrong, then, then it's very important. I demonstrate the behavior that I expect of others. Um, and the other thing I think, Mike, is that through sharing adversities and difficulties, we build up our levels of trust and confidence in each other. Uh, and I can remember having some really powerful and on occasions moving conversations with some clinical colleagues in uh, in Nottingham and elsewhere, either in the in the corridor or over a cup of coffee, where they disclosed to me something that hasn't gone as well as it might. One of my mentors once told me when I was going through a particularly challenging uh, issue uh, uh, when I was working in London, uh, he advised something I've held on to that when something goes wrong, always make sure that the impact of the le- of the learning from what's gone wrong is far, far, far greater than the impact of what went wrong. That's a really helpful frame of mind, particularly in healthcare, but also other areas as well, because otherwise it's too easy to try and sweep these things under the carpet. That must be difficult at times. I mean, it has been difficult in... in particularly in an organisation like the NHS, where cost efficiencies, they need to be made as they do in business. How do you stay true to your principles, the principle of transparency in particular, when that's going on? I think on the basis of being straight with people, Mike, and if if we've got savings to be made, then us saying, well, we've got savings to be made um, and we need your help, i.e. members of staff's help to work out what we do in the most intelligent fashion. Uh, I always regarded that um, the primary contract that, that we had in the NHS with our patients and their loved ones. And that's not an employment contract, but it's the obligation yeah. that we that we have. And that's, yeah. a, that, that's a bond that everyone within the NHS has. Uh, and we need to discharge that, res- that responsibility and obligation in a manner that uh, fulfills our duties in terms of providing high quality care, value for money, uh, and always looking for a better way of doing stuff. Now, even though I've often faced, as other colleagues um, do, very significant financial challenges, if we hold on to those rather than simply working, how do we chop out as much money as we can, but rather a much more challenging question, how do we improve our value for money in a way that, that ideally improves what we do, but at the very minimum doesn't adversely affect what we do? That's a reasonable proposition to, uh, to take forward. So you've had a long, as I say, illustrious career. What are the differences for, for young people starting out on that career path today? I mean, obviously, we've talked about the legacy of the pandemic and of lockdowns, but are there fundamental differences that uh, that they fa- that they will face that they wouldn't have faced 30, 40 years ago? It's a fascinating question. and Quite a few authors that have written on this. So, but to offer my, my thoughts, the speed of change, the, um, the rapidity of very significant changes in terms of not just how we do things, but what we do, particularly in healthcare, but of course, across across businesses as well. I, I think that Charles Hand is, uh, who I, I love reading, um, uh, his notion of the portfolio manager, I think is uh, is true. Uh, I that very few people will have a, a career with one employer, but it will be a series of employers that will include self-employment, um, as it has done for me um, at some times. And the notion of moving from um, career ladder to climbing frame, 
where one will move laterally up, maybe down in, in, in however it's measured, a different paradigm in terms of uh, what an enriched working life may be. I also hope, and certainly talking to uh, younger people, uh, uh, I, I sense, which I think is really welcome, a deeper sense of looking after themselves. Many that I've spoken to are concerned with with working reasonable hours. I didn't. Uh, I, I worked every hour that, uh, that I possibly could uh, with downsides in terms of having lost really important, precious, irreplaceable time with family. So I, I sense that others, younger colleagues, um, and indeed some of them who are a little older, have a better sense of balance, that time has got to be invested in home, family, loved ones, as well as, as work. Working out what so what activities will nourish the whole person? And someone once said to me, you know, we're, um, we're human beings, not human doings, but most of us behave as if, uh, if we're machines on execute mode or implementation mode. And, and I've learned that, uh, that from, from younger colleagues that they've got much to teach, certainly me, in terms of getting that balance better calibrated. If you were to offer a single piece of advice to students graduating, for example, from the Nottingham Business School this year, next year, what might that be? One of the first tasks of a leader, which is often neglected, is to look after themselves. If they can't look after themselves, then they won't be able to look after those people who are looking to them for leadership as well as they should. And yeah. I've seen too many people, and on occasions I've been in this place, where I've been completely knackered. Uh, I haven't been able to, uh, to invest the quality of attention to individuals or issues. Uh, and, and that almost certainly has led to... Uh, uh, to poorer outcomes and results than would have been the case. So take care of yourself, focus on mind, body and soul and enjoy. We only come this way, way once, it goes by so quickly. Peter Homer, thank you very, very much for joining us on the Business Leaders Podcast. It's a great pleasure. I wish you and the students well. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with theatre leader Stephanie Sir, the chief exec of Nottingham Castle, Sarah Blair Manning, and the influential banker, Sir Ken Elisa. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins.